Okay, so we are, I always say we're for sure going to wrap up chapter five today. I'm not going to say that because then I jinx myself. So we are finishing up chapter five. We will take it as it goes. Like, like I said before, we ne we're never in a rush. Most importantly is we want to really engage, understand, feel good about what we're learning. Okay. So at the end of last class, we are, we have some abstract things that we're trying to wrap our brain around, right? And one of those concepts that we ended off last class is these two types of energy, these two types of light that um, Hashem um, reveals himself through, right? So we have, I remember that we, we are taught, the Arizal is the one that kind of brought this up right where we're the, this these two ideas right so we have this light this makif i'll put it in the chat box so we can know how to spell it okay one second so we have this makif light which is um the surrounding um i like how um Chaim miller translated translates it as surrounding non-interactive energy like that's a really good way of saying it right because the energy is there but it's not really accessible to us okay it's a non-interactive energy um that actually does not directly relate to the physical life of a body. Okay. We'll get back to that in a second. And then we have the sovave, and I mean, the mimale energy, which is the energy that fills. Mimale is like fill up. It's the energy that enters our body and we can actually, it's actually inside of us. We can interface with it. We can interact with it. And it's directly connected to our actions, right? To our soul. So let's say, for example, we are doing a mitzvah. Someone keeps getting knocked out. Okay. Um, let's say we are doing a mitzvah that energy of the mitzvah is going to directly affect that energy inside of us that godly part inside of us it's either and it's, it's either going to grow right and get more tangible or when we do something negative it gets demoted right it gets it gets more hidden is the right way to say it the mock if non-interactive energy it doesn't matter what we're doing in this world that energy will will always and will always be surrounding. Okay? So it's not it doesn't matter if you sin or not. That surrounding energy that every person has and frankly the universe has is untouchable. Right? And so because it's high, because it's a very 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 high energy of God that's not tangible it's also not directly impacted by the world. The lower energy, the more accessible energy of God is in us, 
and is tan well, it's not really tangible, but it's more relatable to us. It interacts with us as our soul, right? Then it's very much directly related to how we behave. So what happens when somebody transgresses a mistake, a boo-boo, that, and it's a big mistake, right? That deserves kares. What happens is that that internal energy is getting blocked by God, like it's getting blocked by that action. So now it's severed. It doesn't have a connection to God. Remember, we talked about how because God blew himself into us, breath can be obstructed. What's the only way to obstruct God is by a sin, right? So you, you transgress this sin, God gets obstructed, and then the, the person who does this sin now dies before the age of 50 or 60 because he's now not connected directly to God. Now, why does he live any longer than when he, why does he, de, why does he die right away? Because, yes, 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 because he's running on fumes, right? He's running on, number one, the fumes of his soul, but also there's that surrounding energy that's keeping that person alive, but it won't keep him alive longer than 50 or 60 because then the fumes of your soul run out and the makif energy only applies to something that's alive. It can't keep something alive. It can't create something. It can't be the sustenance of a human, but it can help that human stay alive while there's still residual impacts from his inner godliness. Okay? Does that make sense? Karee? So, <laughs> so the... Um... The makif is the external? Yes. Like external, surrounding, non-interactive energy, right? It's just always going to be there. Now, um, uh, good? Good so far? Okay, because remember... Okay, Barbara, go ahead. Um, can you repent? Yes. Yes. The reason why you can repent... Beautiful question, and I'm going to get to that now. The reason why you can repent is because of the makif energy. If there was no surrounding godly energy that wasn't affected by our sin, then kind of what are you grabbing onto, right? To reignite your soul. There has to be something. So if you remember, it's, it's very, very, very difficult. But if you work very hard, you could tap into that surrounding energy and use that to return. That's why the altar Rebbe reminds us and tells us that as long as you're alive, you're not a lost cause, right? As long as you're alive, you do have the opportunity for return. But there's different stages. It de it's depending on how severely did you disconnect, it's, it's gonna depend on how hard you have to work to reconnect. So when you transgress a sin that that um, requires kares, 
that process of reconnection is going to be much harder. And what are you using to reconnect? Because you're, you're not, you don't really have that internal energy anymore, right? So what are you using to reconnect? You're using that makif energy. That's why it's there. One of the reasons why it's there is that if you work really, really, really hard, and there are certain, certain circumstances that we know from history that somebody was, you would think, totally far gone, but he managed or she managed to really, really have an, a, a major epiphany and a major about face and use that surrounding energy to reconnect and return. Would that bring back the um, internal? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, absolutely. And then you return and then your connection is super, super, super duper, duper strong. Right. Because if you can return after a sever, what ha think about like what happens if you cut the cord? Right. How do you connect the cord again? You tie a knot. Right. You have to tie a knot to reconnect. That knot is actually probably stronger, stronger than it was if there wasn't a knot. But that's the, that's the catch 22, though. You can't disconnect on purpose. Right. Because then. That's God's going to make it really hard for you to return. But if you genuinely sinned, uh, like not to reconnect, but to because you genuinely sinned and then you reconnect, that connection is super strong. And that's the idea of also a Balchuba, right? So, so many times you can see that a Balchuba's connection many times is very much greater than someone who's from, from birth because they had to work extra hard to get there. And then their connection is super strong. But now God is expecting more of them. Well, yeah, there's 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 the ups and downs to all scenarios. So the point of that is, is to look at where you are and recognize the advantages you have in your situation, right? Because someone from, from birth has advantages, absolutely. Right. But someone who's a Balchuba also has advantages. They're just different. So play on and utilize the advantages that you have in your circumstance. And it's try not to waste that energy and to be like, if only I was from from birth, then it would be so much easier for me. Right. Or if only I was a Balchuba, you know, they're so lucky they have a stronger. Right. Like we can always grass is greener. Right. But if you focus on where Hashem put you right? What circumstance he put you in, which means that was your mission and your way to connect to Hashem. And you use that to the fullest and maximize it. You're going to be living the, your best life, right? And, and not, not getting distracted by other people's journeys and scenarios and advantages and disadvantages. Okay. So, um, the, there's a footnote that, um, that I read in the Steinsaltz's Tanya that I found really fascinating that's um, in connection to this encompassing light and you know this all-encompassing like non-interactive light and why it's there and how it actually benefits us. So the sages say, explain um, that God desires, what's the whole reason why we're here? We, we mention it often, but it's a it's good it's a good reminder. Sometimes I need to like remember, like especially when you go through your day to day life, you just need to remember, right? What's your purpose? 
Why are we here? You know, it's so, so. Make a home for God. Yes. Right. Making a dwelling place for God. So, you know what I think about all the time, especially while I'm teaching Tanya, because then I'm actually thinking about it, um, is that as a Jew, we are so lucky because if we ever feel lost with what, why we're here in this world or what we're supposed to do and what's our purpose, like we just have to remember and go back to our roots and our, and the Tanya and it, to make a home for God right? And of course, we all have our own ways of doing that. But how cool is it to when, like, sometimes, I mean, lately, I've kind of been feeling adrift and like, what am I doing here? It's so confusing. There's so much going on. And how do I make an impact? Right. But if you if, like, I'm talking to myself, like, if I would just remember, like, it's not that complicated, right? Like, God put us here in this world to make a dwelling place for him. And we do that by doing good and adding light and doing mitzvahs and being a light onto the nations and by making a kiddush Hashem, making a blessing out of God, right? So I just think about that all the time because I can imagine somebody who's either unaffiliated or not Jewish or doesn't have that clarity, how confusing the world could really be. Yeah. You know, like, can you imagine not having faith or not being grounded in and who we are and what our mission is, how confusing that is. And I think that's why we're seeing such craziness in the world right now, especially with the young kids. It's like, they don't know why they're here. They don't have a purpose. They are lost. They are adrift. They're, they're just grasping. Why, why are they all, you know, free Palestine and, and going crazy for a movement? Because because it's any movement that they can grasp onto that's going to make them feel worthy, right? They're advocating for human rights, but they, I mean, they have it all wrong, but that's because they haven't been paying attention, right? So I just really, this is total sidebar, but I just really, really feel like it's important, especially nowadays, to remind ourselves, like, we don't have to look far to have meaning, like, we don't have to, like, reinvent the wheel. We don't have to come at this world and be like, I have to create something new. No. At, each of us are original and unique to our own journey. But our, all of our missions are the same. We just go about it in different ways, in our, with our different talents, with our different strengths. And that is to create a dwelling place for God, right? So God created this world, right? A system that's a goal, it's like a, it's a goal oriented system, right? We have a goal. We have a mission, which is create a home for him, create a home for him. And this resembles, it was, it really, really like gave me such a good visual in my head. This resembles, um, a big game. Okay. A board game. The game has rules, right? I literally just played on Shabbos Monopoly with many. He wanted to play Monopoly. So me and my husband and many played Monopoly. Number one, I hate games, but I had self-sacrifice. Number two, I haven't played Monopoly in 20 years. Um, but like you, you kind of always know how to play Monopoly, but then when it comes to like the nitty gritty rules, we had no idea what we were doing. Um, and he is taking complete advantage, like making up rules left and right, right? You get the double one, that means you get 
um, each like money from the bank. I'm like, no, that I know that that's not true. It's like, yes, it is. but we don't have the, um, the rules to the game because we have all our games and these like cool plastic containers for organization. And somehow there's no rules in the Monopoly game. It's actually a really cool Monopoly game. It's a Yellowstone version, which was super fun. Um, but we had no rules. Um, and that's a problem when you trying to play a game and you don't know the rules it gets very confusing. Right. So here we are. Here we are. Hashem creates the world. It's like a big board game. There's rules. Right. And whoever does such and such wins. Right. If you follow the rules and you, you know, with a little bit of luck and a little bit of strategy, you could win. Right. Whoever does not follow the rules or whoever cheats or does something wrong. Loses. Okay. Certain things are forbidden and do not count, right? Certain things you can't do in a game, right? You can't cheat. You can't whatever, whatever. You can't just make up your own rules, right? You, I mean, I know kids like, I don't know if my kids, my one specific kid likes to make up rules and they always are to his advantage, right? Like as long as he wins, that's the rule, but you can't really do that, right? You can't. You can't make up rules. Certain things are just forbidden and, and, and don't, can't, can't, don't count, right? So what's fascinating is the game that you're playing is not fantastical, right? It's not in your imagination. It's real, right? I, for real, played Monopoly with my son. It wasn't in my, in my imagination. It was real. But when a person loses the game... Okay, and I'm going to use the example of Monopoly, but it could be chess, whatever. It doesn't mean that he, it means that he lost in the game. Yeah, did he lose the game? Yes, but he's not a loser in all areas of his life, right? Just because he lost Monopoly, just because you lost Monopoly or you lost the game of chess doesn't mean you lost in life, right? It just means you lost in the game, right? Um, but so he did, he lost, he, he absolutely lost the game, but it doesn't mean he absolutely lost in all areas of his life. Right. So you see where I'm going here. Life, I know where you're going. You know where I'm going. Right? I know where you're going. Okay. So good. Likewise, someone who transgresses a sin, right. And is now liable for Kares has lost the game of life. Okay, this is the real game. He transgressed, he deserves kares, he lost the game of life, so to speak, right? This is a, a, a what's it called, a parable. Um, but, but, and he's, he's caused real damage, right? But there is still a reality that exists beyond the game, right? And that is Ein Sof. Ein Sof is that makif light. Ein Sof is without end. Direct translation of Ein Sof without end. When I say Ein Sof, we are referring to the makif surrounding light. So there's such a thing as the world. The world is the game of life. But that's not the only thing that exists in God's universe, right? So there's the game of life. But there's also Ainsof. There's also that surrounding un, 
relatable light that doesn't lose when you lose the game, right? Like it's still kind of around you. So this is the concept, like Barbara mentioned, that explains how there's the possibility of repentance. Because when a person repents, right, it's as if he's saying to God, I played and I lost. Let's redistribute the pieces and try again and play again, right? If there was no possibility or God beyond the realm of life, there would be no possible way to start the game over. Game over, game over, right? If God only existed in, in this world, then when you lose the game of this world, then there's then you lose the game. There's no way to restart the game. But because there's um, a realm that exists beyond the game, beyond the rules, right? Beyond the official system, it's possible to start a new game, but you have to ascend to that realm that lies beyond reality, right? And the possibility of starting fresh, this is what I love. The possibility of starting fresh is actually inherent to the actual game itself. Like inherent in the game itself, inherent in the sub, it's like the subsystem of how the game works is the possibility to start over. Hashem created the system that if you mess up and you lose the game, he created the subsystem behind it that allows you to go beyond reality and restart. What's the restart? The restart's your tshuva. Your tshuva is what's allowing you to restart the game. It's the, actually the ain soap that's allowing you to do tshuva to restart the game. So um, when a person wants to repent, what it means is that he's exiting this. I love this. He's exiting the subsystem and entering the super system. The subsystem is the game. Super system is Ain Sof, the surrounding light, right? So the super system is this encompassing light where one can say, let's play again. Reset the game. Starting over. And you know what God says? When you do that, he says, I've erased your sins like a passing cloud chills right so this is this is why when we're learning these kind of abstract concepts why we stick it out right why we stick it out and we really want to try to understand to the best of our ability because what was the whole point of understanding the mamale light the internal light and the encompassing light because the internal light is the game of the world, right? And we go about our world and we mess up and we lose the game, right? Knowing that there's a super system of Ainsof light that says, God, I want to start the game over. Please, can I start the game over? Chuva, I.e. Chuva. And you know what God says? If you're genuine, 
Sure. Sins? What sins? Right? Sins? What sins? You don't have sins. Right? And that's the system that Hashem created for us. He created the subsystem where we, we believe in reality and, you know, mundane and physical and, and, and right. And all the stuff that we can tangibly feel. And then we, we mess up, we lose the game. And then that's when we have to tap into the super system, the system that we know, even though we don't tangibly feel it, we know exists, which allows us to go back and start again. What other scenario allows you to say, never mind. I'm starting over, right? Is that where teshuva happens? So the teshuva, the teshuva does happen practically. Like you do have to do the actions of teshuva, but the re-cleansing of your soul and the and the like, the fact that your sins go away is all happening in the super system, right? And that's where that's getting like, think of it as like a car wash, right? Like you're getting wiped clean, Um and you come out all fresh, but you have to do the work, right? Hashem gives us these amazing opportunities, but if we don't tap into them, or we say like, I don't know, I have a lot of teenagers in the house right now. So I hear a lot, like it's too hard. I can't do it. Nah, 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 right? Like we, we can act like teenagers to God too. We're like, no, you gave me all these opportunities for, for return and repentance and but I can't, it's, it, I can't do it. It's too hard. You could say that, but then you lose, right? Then you lose. You don't, you're not using the opportunities that Hashem gives you. Now, if like I tell my daughter all the time, I'm like, you can get a 65 on your test, right? And you pass and you can be upset about it. And you could be like, how come I didn't get a better grade? But if you don't actually put the work in and study, that's what you get. Right. If you put the work in and you study and you really, really, really value uh, getting a better grade, then you will. Right. Then you will, because it's important to you and you'll put in the work. But if it's not important to you and if you don't want to do it and the work is too hard. Then maybe you pass, maybe you don't, but it's you're definitely not putting you're not, not doing your best. Right. So we we have we have to remember and we have to know what lies in our in our abilities, like what do we have access to? What are our opportunities? Whether we choose to use them or not, that's on us. But God did create a system that allows us to start over. And not only that, again and again and again and again and again and again, however many times you decide to sin. Now again, the kare sins are harder, right? Like they are really, really, really difficult to start over but they're really, really, really impactful when you do them. So that's another reason why it's, you know, why we learn about what happens when we sin and how kind of serious it is because maybe that'll deter us from doing it at, you know, maybe we'll do it, hopefully we'll do it less because we realize that it's not a little deal, right? It's very, very impactful. Not that so that we should live out of fear, not that we should be walking around and being like, oh my gosh, I can't breathe or I'm going to do something wrong, right? That's not the point. The point is, wow, my connection to Hashem is really, really important and really, really strong. And all that I do impacts my relationship with God for the better or for the worse. 
So how do I want to impact my relationship? Do I want to spend my days, hopefully most of my days, impacting my relationship for the better and slipping up sometimes because we're human and we're Ganu and we're not Sadiqim, right? Or am I going to ignore this whole concept of connection and it's a crock anyway, right? And, and then not pay attention. And then we end up in this scenario where we have a lot of disconnections and then it's a lot harder to come, to come back. Right. Does that make sense? Okay. Any questions? Okay, guys, we've officially finished chapter five, but we're not, but we're, but, but we're going to do a quick review from, cause we've done this. <laughs> I love your, yay. Look at Sarah's thing. <laughs> me too, me too. I don't know how to do that. I'm like, every, I'm like, we're having to do that cool stuff. Um, what we're going to do, because we've been doing chapter five, four months, <laughs> I think, right? It's been a lot of weeks. Um, we, I'm going, I want to take you on a quick little review from the beginning to the end so we can have like a nice neat trajectory of events you should how we got to where we got okay so that might take us to the end of class maybe not i don't know but the point is is that we can officially say we have finished chapter five and it was a doozy i Yay. i was good it was good but it was intense right actually chapter four i think was worse chapter four was a lot of the the yud stuff um <laughs> that was harder um but okay so i have a nice little outline to you should quiz us Pavi. you know Here what I, I would say yes but then i would have to actually quiz myself and i'm not sure that that would work <laughs> no just like you ask questions all the time you know yeah yeah, like... yeah okay so during our review i'm gonna pop up with some questions and see who we see you carrie well. you're the star student no okay, no, okay. no 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 <laughs> You she does. She reviews. That. She asks questions. I know. She, she's on it. She's on it. Um, okay. So in this chapter, we addressed, I have a cheat sheet because it's been a long time for me too. Okay. So we address the divine flow of vitality. It's going to be a mouthful, but listen carefully. The divine flow of vitality that is channeled from the name of Havaya, right? This is kind of even going back to the end of chapter four. From the name of Havaya to the higher levels of the human soul that then continue on to the body. Okay, so we have Havaya, we have the higher levels of the soul, and then we have the levels of the soul that's actually in our body, right? The energy flow goes from Havaya, which is God, higher levels of our soul, which is surrounding us over our head, right? Into our body, okay? Now, the connection between the Neshama, our soul, and the name of Havaya, I love my visuals, okay, um, is direct okay 
The soul is literally a portion of God and what connects it, here's your question, what's connecting our soul and Havaya? Our breath. Lord. Oops. What? <laughs> what did you say, Sarah? The I said our no, okay, she got the it. Wrong, got but okay, one <laughs> second. The breath is gonna come in. The breath is what gives us our soul. You're right. Don't think you're not right. The it, it's another piece to this picture. The breath give the breath is how we got our soul. Right? We got our soul through breath, but the sustaining connection between between our God and our soul is the rope, right? Yaakov Chavel Nachalaso, right? That's the the verse that we use, right? And it's and it's the portion. I'm going to translate the the phrase. The portion of the Lord is His people, Jacob. The cord of His inheritance. Our inheritance is the cord that connects us to Hashem. Okay. Um, so the soul below is, is a portion of God, right? Um, perfect. The rope is the connection. Okay. We're good so far, right? See how we're like moving through the chapter, right? We're getting where we're going with this. Now, this is what exactly what Sarah brought up with the breath. Now, the connection that we have between Hashem and us is also depicted through another verse, which is, and he blew us into the nostrils, the soul of life, right? That's the verse. Hashem blew from his own soul into man like a single stream of air, okay? He blew from himself into us, the soul, okay? That's how we got our soul. And that's also, and, and Sarah's really right, it's also kind of a sustaining connection because Hashem constantly has to recreate us, right? So that's also happening at the same time. The breath is keeping us alive and that rope is the connection between, you know, our us and God. So if a barrier separates between a blower and the recipient of the breath, right? If there's a barrier between the person who's blowing and where the breath needs to go, right? What happens? Then the air can't pass through, right? It gets blocked. So similarly, if something were to obstruct this channel of life force that extends from the divine will, which is Havaya, to our soul, what happens if something separates between these two things it's it blocks the pathways and severs the cord now right we didn't say what that blockage is yet right remember we're going in order of the chapter we just know that because hashem blew into us right because he used breath not speech like the rest of the world but breath that means there could be a blockage, right? What's the blockage? What could possibly block Hashem? Transgression. Transgression. 
sin, right? The, uh, so the altar tells us, and I'll quote the, the verse again, is your iniquities have been separating between you and your God. Basically, we understand that the sin is the only thing that can block the connection between us and God. And we, we spent a little bit of time talking about the fact that because Hashem created the world that way, right? Like he chose, he decided that sin was going to block him, right? It doesn't, it's not that it like there's something that blocks God. It's, it's not, God decided that that was going to be how he laid out the rules of the game, right? Like those are the rules of the game. If you sin, then I'm blocked, right? That's how the game works. So um, then we went on to this. Okay, so we know that sin blocks our connection to God. It severs the rope, okay? But then we talked about, okay, there's different levels of disconnection. There could be something that just causes a blemish to the rope or only like a, remember the rope is also made out of 613 cords. So it could be that only a one little strand is severed or there's something called kares, which is our best friend. Kares is the severance of the connection between the soul and its source like a complete severance of connection. This disconnection is caused by the sin itself. The severance of that cord, because it's the person's lifeline, causes the end of his life. If it's not immediate, by the way, it could be immediate. It says he, has, he, he dies before 50 or 60. It could be immediate or he could live a few more years, right? If he lives a few more years, we know that it's because of the fumes and the surrounding energy. Um, surrounding yeah. energy. And so. And so, exactly. Now, what we're, go what we're moving towards in this, in the next chapter, which we're not going to start today because we're not going to push our boundaries, right? That would not be a good idea. Um, what we're moving towards is this idea of kares only applies when the world functions according to the will of God, as it did in the times of the temple. Okay, in the times of the temple, when God's presence was among the Jewish people, way more revealed. Life flowed from God's innermost will and any disturbance of the will caused an interruption to the flow of energy leading to premature death because it was so much more impactful and it was so much more like revealed and out there. Okay. That is not how it is today. We're going to get there in a second. Okay. Okay. Um, let me just see. There's a question. What's the difference between the rope connection and the breath connection? Is it the same thing? Um, okay. So I want to say that there's, to me, how I differentiate between the rope connection and the breath connection is to me, the breath connection is how we received our soul. 
And yes, it's still being sustained by the breath, just like we breathe constantly. Hashem, remember we said when we breathe, when our breath is Hashem's breath and we're kind of breathing together. Um, but it, to me, it's most impactful in the sense that that's how we were given. That's how we were created. Now, once we're a created being, we have this rope that continues to connect us at all times. And if we mess up, right? If we mess up the rules of the game and we lose, then that connection is affected in that way. I almost think that the breath is more of like a background connection because like we said, we could be, our rope could be severed, but we can still be alive, right? So I would say like the breath is like a core connection and how we received our soul and then it becomes more background. And then the rope is what sustains us kind of practically, even though it doesn't feel practical because it's still abstract, but it's practical. Do you get what I'm saying? Does that it's help? not spiritual. What? It's not spiritual. No, it's spiritual, but it's like more tangible. Like the, like, do you get what I'm saying? It's like more, it's more like in real time. That's how we're connected. Right. You always I want you always to imagine that you have a rope coming from your soul attaching to God. And every time you connect, your rope gets stronger. And every time you disconnect, your rope gets weaker. Yes, we, we just Nothing. can't see the rope. We can't see the rope. Obviously, it's all spiritual, but you can think of it as more tangible, but it's still not physical. Right. Yeah, Sarah. I was going to say that the breath is kind of like the, not involuntary, but like, if you think about like the parts of our brain, like the reflexive, like that's yes. just what's happening always. Yes. And our yes. behavior doesn't impact the fact that Hashem gives us breath over and over and over. Yes. That's kind of what I was trying to say. Right. So we receive, we receive our, our life force from the breath. And then we kind of move over to this more like, Found, found like more like practical. It's kind of like a more dynamic. Like yeah. the rope is like. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So exactly. You got it. The rope that, that gets connected and reconnected with the breath connection is constant. Correct. But I think what happens now, as I'm like processing this out loud, what happens is when we, when we transgress, right? That breath connection also kind of gets blocked, which then is what affects the rope, right? So it's kind of like, I think the breath is more foundational and the rope is more like the manifestation of that. Does that make sense? Okay. Basically, there's a lot of ways that we're connected to God and they're all kind of impact each other. Okay. Um, so we're almost done reviewing the chapter. One of the questions that we we had from this discussion is how a person who transgresses a sin, punishable by karis, continues to live, right? It's That's what we did last class, right? And at the end of the previous ch chapter, at the, at the end of chapter five, the, the, the Alter Rebbe reconciled this part of the dilemma by explaining that um, when you when the vitality like ceases to come from the divine soul when we like sever that connection between us and the divine soul 
of, uh, right? The, the, a vestige of that soul remains, an imprint of that soul remains. Um, I heard a good example of the imprint, you know, like when you write on a piece of paper with a pencil or pen and you have another paper under and it leaves like a mark, right? It's not the actual writing, but it's like, it's a mark from the, that's like the leftover parts of the soul, right? The soul's gone, but not gone, but it's disconnected, but it's, but it left that mark, right? That vestige is left. And, um, that is giving vitality to the body until it runs out. When is it going to run out before age? 50 or 60. Yep. Correct. Right. Um, now we're going to next class get into why there's even like a bigger question, right? This question gets even broader and more complex because there are individuals nowadays, right? In, in exile time that who've committed sins punishable by kares, but yet they continue to enjoy long, happy lives even beyond the age 50 or 60, right? Um, and, and, and if you think about it, this question even applies to the world at large, right? Um, according to how we see the world today, the reality doesn't work in this way that we're talking about, right? We're living in a world that this is not how things are playing out. Um, and what we're saying, what, and what's the reality is that we, the world today does not receive vitality only from the side of holiness, right? We learned that there's this dual energetics in the world, right? There's the vitality from the backside and then there's the whole godly vitality. So we're entering the next chapter with a question regarding the existence of the world in this day and age, right? And the source of its life force, as well as the role of individual individuals in this dynamic, okay? How does the world work? Okay, we understand how the world is supposed to work and we understand how the world works in the times of the temple. Whoopie-doo-dah, we don't live in the times of the temple, right? So we now need to understand how does the world work today? Does this mean right? that God changed things? Yes. He yes. changed yes. things, right? Yes, things changed yes. drastically, right? But... We have to understand how that works. How did it change? Why did it change? And because of the change, how are we operating today? What does, how do my actions impact this dynamic, right? How does the, the rules of the game changed, right? We had one way we played the game during the times of the temple and now the rules changed. After the times of the temple, there's now new rules and things are or and the and the like energy of the game is different right energy is coming from a different source so we need to now take everything we learned put it in a little box and now apply it to practical times because it's it's very important that we understand how things are supposed to be right how things were intended how things work when god is completely comfortable and revealed and has a dwelling place in this world right because that's where we eventually want to get to again but now we're living in the world where we are in exile 
right? And how, where does this energy come from? How does it work? How does it play out? What's the dynamic between God, the world, and the humans inside of the world? It's different. And that's what we're in chapter six. The Torah didn't change. Why should anything change? The Torah didn't change, but but the um the amount and the way that God reveals himself changed. So if God's gonna change the way we can see him, he has to have different expectations from us. It's okay. not fair that he would have the same expectations as if he's out in the open. Here I am. He can't expect the same for us if we're playing, if he's playing hide and seek. Come find me, come find me, right? That's what we're that's what essentially what God's doing. It's playing hide and seek. He wants us to go looking for him and, and then when we find him, reveal him. That's very, very different than just having this relationship with God that's already there. Okay, so the Torah didn't change. The mitzvah, the, the mitzvahs and the and the transgressions didn't change. But the expectations of what happens when we sin and what happens when we um, do mitzvahs, um, how much does God actually expect from us is adjusted for the reality of the times. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. absolutely. We are so good. 824. Perfect timing for a meditation. We finished chapter five with a review, with an introduction to chapter six. We rocked it. You know why? Why? Because I didn't interrupt you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could blame it on you when I'm running behind, but um, that's awesome. Um, no, I love the interruptions. More interruptions, the better. It's way more fun. Um, no, this was perfect. Now, um, we're going to meditate for a few minutes. We're going to ground ourselves, okay? We kind of, we talked a lot about, a, a lot about, a lot about abstract things, okay? So now we're going to ground ourselves. We're going to internalize what we spoke about try every person in their own individual experience to make it practical. So even though we still don't know how this plays out in the world today, we have enough information and we have enough knowledge that can really affect at least our thought process, right? Our narrative, like we have knowledge, right? That knowledge is power, right? Okay, so um, take a deep breath. On your exhale, gently close your eyes. Even take a minute and just like roll your neck, stretch, get comfortable in your space that you're in. We're gonna do a couple rounds of our inhale and exhale. I'm gonna remind you some thoughts that you can have while you exhale, while you inhale. If you don't like what I'm saying or doesn't resonate, just tune me out and do your own thing, okay? So inhale. As you inhale, I want you to think about opening up your heart, opening up that space to allow beautiful, wonderful things inside, okay? As you exhale, let your whole body physically relax. Almost let it sound like a sigh. All that energy that's just not serving you, let it go. 
Inhale. As you breathe, Hashem is breathing with you. Your breath is God's breath. Exhale. Any stress, any sorrow, breathe it out. Inhale. Think about how Hashem is sustaining you, wants you to be here in this world, has a specific mission for you. Open yourself up to it. Exhale any negative energy. Send it away like a bird. Last inhale. Big, 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 nice, deep inhale. Just let it all be available to you. Anything that Hashem has in store for you, just be there for it. And exhale. Any last little stubborn parts of you that aren't relaxed yet. Let it go. Okay, let your breath relax. Let it return to its natural rhythm. Don't think about it right now. And we're going to um, have some thoughts to just think about for a few minutes. When a person follows the path of Torah, he draws upon himself a holy supernal light. When a person perverts his ways, he draws upon himself another spirit of Sitra Akhra, which is a side of impurity. So this is from a few classes ago, but because we're culminating here in this chapter, just a reminder, right? When we follow the rules of the game, when we follow the path of Torah, we are strengthening our connection to Hashem and bringing light to us, to the world. When we veer off the path, when we break the rules, we lose out on connection, on light. Okay. So just something to keep us, keep in mind, to keep us kind of on the path, not in, from a sense of fear, from a sense of connection. Do I want to connect? Is it important to me to connect? Do I understand what's happening when I, with my actions? Do I understand the power that my actions have? And again, remember that as long as we're alive, there's always a path to return because there's the subsystem, which is the game of the world. And then there's the super system, the ain't so that's not affected by our day-to-day -day life. That's always there as a backup to tap into if we've lost our way. It's hard work, but it's there. So I'm going to let you just think about those concepts for a minute. Does it land for you? Does it impact you in any way? Do you feel any physical sensations or emotions when you think about this? Not No wrong or right. Don't try to change them. Just notice them.
Bring your attention back to your breath. Big inhale. And nice big exhale. Biggest exhale ever. All tensions and stress are just melting away. Let your body like melt and relax into your seat. Now you can just allow some sensations to come back. Some sights, some smell, some sounds. Kind of reorient yourself back in your space. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. How's everybody doing? Okay, first of all, I'm just going to stop the recordings just so the recording doesn't go too long.